Danielle Houston. I'm the host of this podcast, The Checkup. I'm also a health advisor here at Locked In Companies. And today my guest is going to give us sort of an insider look at some new support for taking care of our aging population. Larry Niesenson is with Genworth. He is the chief commercial officer there. He is going to be talking to us about something that, you know, a problem, I guess we'll say, that I hadn't really considered. And maybe because where I'm at in life and where so many of my friends are in life, we're focused on this childcare crisis that we've experienced in the last 12 months. And we're looking ahead at that a lot. And then I started reading about the work that Genworth is doing and statistics around elder care. And there is a very similar crisis happening there, but yet, you know, different. So we're going to dig in and talk about what that problem really looks like. And we're going to talk a lot of statistics today too, but Genworth is offering as well a solution. And as employers are thinking about how your workplace is changing and how your benefits are going to change to meet where employees are coming from and what they're going to be trying to get back to work with, I'll even argue that employers will really need to make a decision to deal with this or not, because there are going to be people that we're working with who are making some really tough decisions. So Larry, would you please tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll, we'll dig into this problem here that we're discussing today. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on, Danielle. I'm really excited to spend some time chatting with you and your uh, listeners, the the caregiving crisis is an incredibly important um, topic and dilemma for us to talk to. Um, but just a little bit about me before. So uh, I happen to be a caregiver myself, and I'll share my own caregiving story with you. But know that I've spent 30 years in the financial services and the insurance business. And while that gives me all of the gray hair that I have, what it doesn't give me, and this is where my story ties in, is you think it would give me a leg up in understanding how to be a caregiver. I've spent my virtually my entire adult career building products around aging, life insurance, annuity, long-term care, caregiving services. And you would think that that would entitle me to some knowledge so that when my own caregiving journey started, I would be ahead of where the pack was. And I'm here to tell you that at the end of it, I didn't know anything more than the average person who gets that same fateful call that I got. It was a four o'clock on a Tuesday. And I often talk about the four o'clock on a Tuesday moment because it's exactly when it happened to me. And I got a call from my mother who said, I need to talk to you. Your father is about to be rushed in for emergency brain surgery and we've got to figure it out. And nobody is prepared for that call right? That is what we describe as the emergent caregiving call. Something's happened. Other people are on a different slope. They're on a different traje trajectory. It's dementia or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Something has got a longer nature to it, right? A longer path. In my particular case, I had been my parents' financial advisor, had sold them long-term care insurance. So there was not a question of money. This wasn't a how do we pay for care. Care was already taken care of. The questions were around, what do you do? What do I do? How do I make sure that my father's care 
was the right care. What did I know about finding a rehab facility, picking a doctor, getting somebody to come in? Ultimately, by the way, he was 100% cured. He's, this happened uh, at this point about 12 years ago, and I will tell you he is a cantankerous 85-year-old. And he was cantankerous before, and he is exactly where he was then. And it has a good ending, but it didn't start out well. It started out with us struggling to figure it out. And it became somewhat a mission for me to both solve the product and more importantly, to jump into care advocacy because I knew if I wasn't prepared for it, it was likely that the 40 plus million caregivers that are what we describe as family caregivers are also not prepared when they get that fateful call. Yeah, that number really surprised me. Um, 42 million caregivers in this country. And those are the unpaid caregivers. These are people within families who are trying to decide how are we going to divide up the care and who will do what for this person that we love. And maybe to your point, you know, it sounds really like what you've learned is that life insurance is easy, but you know, getting dirty into the the real parts of how this all works and how you actually access care, that is complicated. Um, and that, that's not a part of life yet that I've experienced. So I appreciate you sharing some of your story. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that your dad is cantankerous and 85 and also recently vaccinated. He is fully vaccinated, which I had to go through the whole story with him on why he needed to be fully vaccinated. Because again, he's cantankerous and 85. Um, you, you know, if you think the statistic around the 42 million is an unbelievable number, we, over the next decade, and I know that you were kind enough to prep people that there's going to be a lot of statistics we're going to talk about. There are, you could get lost in the sea of statistics. And I don't want to do that because the visual is a much better way to tell the story. But one of the statistics that really jumps out is it's not the 42 million today. It's that over the next decade, that number is going to go to 80 million caregivers, unpaid family caregivers. As the baby boomers age, what we see is that at some point, six or seven out of 10 will need some sort of help whatever that help is. And when we define caregiving, I just, it's interesting. I do a lot of public speaking. And when I say to people in an audience setting, Hey, who's a caregiver. And I just asked the question that way, Danielle, you know, one or two hands go up. Right. But then I say, well, let's kind of talk about what caregiving is. And I describe more common scenarios. Maybe you go over and bring a meal on a weekend. Maybe you go over and do some yard work. Maybe you help them set up some online banking or in the case of Uh, Me this weekend will be helping my mother-in-law buy a car. She needs a new car and there's no way she could do that on her own. Whatever the story is, caregiving is not necessarily just the traditional full-time, I have somebody live with me or I bought a mother-daughter and moved my in-laws into the basement apartment. Caregiving takes on a whole different toll. Maybe it's for a neighbor. But regardless of what it looks like, there will be 80 million unpaid caregivers. That, that is an astonishing number. And what's crazy is at a time when that number is, is going up by double digit percentages, 
The number of actual paid caregivers, so people who do it as a vocation, is declining by over a million a year because they can make the same money or more doing less hazardous jobs, right? You could work at McDonald's and virtually make the same thing you make as a as an orderly in a hospital or in a long-term care facility. And so you've got much, much less of a chance of hurting yourself at McDonald's than you do trying to help move somebody around. And so we see this really terrible scenario where more burden will fall on families and loved ones to provide that care for their families. You know, and, and to that end, you know, it's probably the right time then to talk about how COVID has compounded this, you know, there was a time not that long ago, pre-COVID, a year, year and a half ago, that senior living facilities and elder care facilities of all types have been expanding to meet this baby boomer need. And then COVID happened. And we saw such terrible impact of COVID in these nursing home elder care facilities. And that was one of the surprising things as I was reading through, you know, the information that you shared ahead of time to prepare for this is that in the midst, there's been this exodus of people trying to get their loved ones out of those facilities because they are going to be safer in a home setting and outside of their facility. So to that end, what's your anticipation of what that looks like in the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is this incredible paradigm shift that really occurred in the spring of last year, right? It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily right at the beginning of March, because that was too early for there to have been this huge impact. But by the end of the spring, people realized, certainly, and I live in the middle of New Jersey, and 40% of the deaths that were attributed in the state of New Jersey, which had the most per capita deaths from COVID, 40% of those occurred inside of nursing home and long-term care facilities. And you're 100% right, Danielle. People said, if my loved one is healthy, I need to get them out of the facility and move into back into my home or into a different type of facility. It's what's interesting is when you look at um, what segments of the marketplace did well during the initial stages of COVID, obviously the travel and leisure industry, right? Had a dramatic decrease retail shopping, dramatic decrease. Where were uh, some of the greatest jumps in home remodeling businesses, whether it was retrofitting bathrooms, building additions, refitting parts of rooms to to accommodate moving your loved ones in. You know, the number of caregivers during COVID. So if if your audience wants to look at some statistics, Genworth uh, did a COVID consumer sentiment study last spring in, in the end of May. And it looked only at the first few months, uh, March and April and the beginning of May. And we asked consumers, who's a caregiver? What did you learn? What are you scared of? What do you see as the future? And it's interesting to go back now and look at what, they, what we thought as, a, as consumers a year ago. And one of the things that jumped out at me 
is that this influx of people moving back into their homes, coupled with the number of caregivers, employees that now had to be school teachers and daycare providers as their younger children, you referenced this earlier, right? Their younger children were in the middle of this too. There's now one in three Americans because of COVID. So that's over a hundred million Americans are dealing with caregiving either with a young child or because they've moved a parent or loved one into their home, or in some cases they're dealing with both. So when we think about what are some of those sort of changes that we've seen and what do we think is going to be either in the short, mid, or even the long-term future, it is going to reshape the nature of growing old, the nature of what does our future work look like? How can employers um, help their employees both because they're empathetic as employers and because they've got to figure out a way to be productive to compensate for this change in what we can call family dynamics and lifestyle. And, you know, to the point of, is this a long-term change? One of the interesting things I pulled from some of the studies that Genworth makes available is the National Association of Realtors released some numbers that in the last year, one in six home buyers purchased a multi-generational home. And that was a difference. Um, it was one in 10 the year before. So, you know, I would draw from that, that if people are going out to buy new homes, remodel bathrooms, retrofit their existing home, they are not planning on this being a short-term thing. You know, in fact, is this, you know, forcing the pendulum to swing back, you know, from this direction of looking at facilities to bringing family nucleus together, you know, in some ways that, you know, feel feel a little like it came from 50 years or so ago to take care of people at home for as long as they can in whatever capacity that looks like. Yeah, I think it's a gr- I think it's a great point and I think there's a couple of different things in play. For sure, COVID is a driver of the immediate change, right? The exponential growth in the retrofitting of houses is absolutely from COVID. But there are other things that are in play that are also significant game changers. We know that historically um, underrepresented and some of the poorer communities have been forced, right, to have generations live inside of one house. And we see this caregiving change is really impacting minority communities even more than impacting Um, some of the more affluent communities and uh, folks. But what's occurring is those people that can't afford to buy a house on their own that have this responsibility are saying, wait a second, even if we could put our parents somewhere or our loved ones, this might be the opportunity for us to try and afford to find a place to live where we can move mom and dad in because it's now accepted, it's more accepted through the employer, through their job, that it's almost given those that would have done it previously an opportunity to do it. And we think the long-term impact is a huge opportunity for underrepresented communities to try and balance this difficult, incredibly hard thing of 
familial and family responsibility of taking care of their loved ones, yet honoring and working in the need to continue to earn as much money as they can. And we see it uh, happening day in and day out. And the good news is um, we think not only is it here to stay, we think that the positive benefits will certainly outweigh any of what I would describe as the friction that might exist as employers try and figure out how to accommodate their employees. And this is interesting because, you know, your, your comments echo a, a conversation that I had just yesterday with Brad Mandacina, and he is the leader of our HR technology here at Lockton. And he was sharing with me that in 2019, pre-COVID, he was, you know, as he was doing his speaker rounds and different conferences, one of his predictions about benefits in the near future was that employers were going to have to shift away from just benefits and a workplace designed around the employee to really be encompassing of the family, that there was going to need to be this shift that really looked at the employee as a whole family unit. And I mean, it was an uncomfortable laughing that we shared, but it was this this moment of, you know, he, he was being prophetic in some ways without realizing how much he really was predicting, because of course we didn't know that COVID would come as it did in 2020 and truly start to blur these lines between who we are at work and who we are at family and needing to find new ways to balance that and employers and HR people have been on the front lines of helping to do that. Um, who could have known that that was all going to come, right? It, it really is. Um, when we think about just in the short 13 or 14 months since the first time we even heard of COVID, right, as this far away distance disease that started started sort of creeping into the news cycle and then hit your neck of the woods first as it migrated from the West Coast East. You think about how far we've come. Technology has certainly advanced in ways that will allow the workplace dynamics to change. Employer sentiment has changed incredibly. I have to tell you that I, uh, I speak to uh, heads of HR every day and I would say the evolution of how HR departments went from triaging this immediate, what do we do? We've got to send every employee home. How do we continue to run a business and how do we take care of our people? They so quickly triage that and then flip the script to say, okay, if we're going to do this, how do we best support our employees? How do we make sure that this work-life balance, this, you know, we used to talk about work-life balance sort of in this uh, arm's length way, right? We would advocate for it and we would say to people, we want you to have a work-life balance and many places put in employee performance reviews, you know, what are you doing for work-life balance? But we didn't actually dig through it. We didn't force the issue. We just, we, many employers would check the box to say we care about it and, you know, we can check that. I will say that every HR department, including Genworth's, 
are now living and breathing this idea of work-life balance. And we see it in the total rewards packages that companies are putting together. We see in the changing paradigm of how they are training new managers and leaders. We see it in the benefits space, and I'm sure you do also in terms of the new and innovative benefits that are being brought out to the public that are all around empathetic leadership and management and offerings that are family-based to your point. Um, and I think that that's one of the great permanence uh, in terms of the way we will go to work from now on. And it's hard to use positive and COVID in the same sentence, but I believe that is one of the positives that we'll continue to see. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do think we have to look for, you know, what are some of the pearls that are coming out of this? You know, as we have been challenged, where are some areas that we've gotten better, that we've been more empathetic and, you know, that we've looked for new ways to really connect and help people. Um, I, so I feel like through this conversation, we have talked about what the employer impact is in terms of culture and thinking about benefits. We've talked about how some of those attitudes are changing. What about the impact to the bottom line? What can you see around, you know, more of the numbers, I guess, to, to what the employer is going to deal with in, especially as it relates to employees taking care of their loved ones. Yes. And, and thank you for asking that question. And, um, it is one of the places where we've got to talk about numbers and statistics for yeah. sure. And so Genworth has been a leader in the education and awareness around the, what we would describe as the cost of aging, both on the personal side and on the employer side. And we have two uh, tandem studies that we run that your listeners can, can get to these uh, if they go to genworth.com, G-E-N-W-O-R-T-H.com. One is called the cost of care and the cost of care looks at by state and by region. So you can look in Seattle, Washington and say, how much does it cost to send, um, to put my loved one in a variety of facilities or bring in home care as somebody ages? And you can get a sense of what it would likely cost for an episode and how much you need to save. And that's great on the employer, on the employee side and the consumer side. The tandem one that we do is called Beyond Dollars. And Beyond Dollars looks at the lost productivity for companies. And we really look at it both at the aggregate, so at the cost to the US economy, and then we break it down really on a per capita basis and look at what does the cost of caregiving per um, thousand employees. What does that look like for a company? And I'm going to give you some numbers around it that are just astonishing. And um, being a leader in the space, we do this really more for awareness. We, as you know, we built a new services business around care advocacy that we'll talk a little bit about, but the surveys that we do really predate this, this, uh, new service that we created by 15, 16, 17 years. So we've been trying to educate people long before this. The cost to the U.S. economy for these family caregivers in the aggregate, and we include in this cost, the cost of absenteeism. So people who have to unexpectedly take off. Presenteeism or zombieism as it's known, which is people who are actually there physically on the job 
but they're there physically, but they're doing other things. Maybe they're online searching for childcare. Maybe they're online shopping for bath, uh, bathroom retrofitting grab bars or toilets or something. So they're there doing their work, but they're not really there. We look at the cost of retention and recruitment. So we happen to know that a third of all caregivers will leave the workforce because they have their employer is not as accommodating as they need to be able to take care of their loved ones. And so when the choice comes down to take care of my loved one or take care of my job, even though the money is important, nobody is ever going to take their loved one and cast them to the side. So we know that over 30% of employees that are caregivers leave the workforce. So we look at what does it cost to recruit new employees to take their place? What is the cost of the additional health care? Because we know the stress and anxiety of family caregivers is significant, that they have increased medical costs. And what is the cost of that? When we add all of that together, the aggregate cost to the U.S. economy is over $25 billion a year. Wow. Yeah. The, of that $25 billion, Danielle, over $13 billion is due to increased health care costs. So if all we did was help caregivers be less stressed, give them resources to help them deal with this pushing and pulling and compacted time schedules. We know caregivers as an example. During COVID, this 100 million caregivers are on average spending over nine hours extra a week in their caregiving responsibilities. I don't know about you. I don't have an extra nine hours. So if I'm finding nine hours, it's only coming in one of two places. I'm sleeping less. I'm doing less for myself because my job most likely is requiring me to still do the job I was going to do, right? right? So so we know that when we can provide caregiver services, that it saves the company on average um, significantly more. The average uh, company can save somewhere between a million and $2 million a year in net revenues to, or net productivity, if you will, to their bottom line by supporting their caregivers. And when we tell that story to HR folks and CFOs, when we get them in a room together and tell them that story about supporting your employees and saving on that productivity piece, the light That's bulb huge. goes off on, oh yeah, the light bulb goes off on both sides, the empathetic and the bottom line side. Yeah. And I'm curious of that one third who leave the workforce to be a more full-time caregiver, do we know are those, is it kind of evenly split between men and women? Is it mostly women? Any idea? I, unfortunately, I, I have the numbers. I'm going to share the numbers and I'm going to preface it by saying I'm the father of three daughters. And so um, it, it, it does not bode well for women. And I want to, I want to give, two sets of statistics. The first is caregivers in general are split almost down the middle. It's 53% women and 47% men. So in, let's effectively call it 50-50 split in terms of who identifies as a caregiver. So we start out saying there is an equal number of caregivers. Okay. Unfortunately, the caregiving burden falls almost exclusively in this decision over whether to leave the workforce, falls almost entirely on the shoulders and the backs of women. And um, to put it in perspective, 
the number of women who've left the workforce just in the last year, so all due to COVID, let's say it's in the last year, has, has taken away 30 years of gains made by women in the workforce in terms of numbers. When we look at the income disparity, it's an even worse story. All of the financial gains made by women in the last 30 to 40 years have been erased, not because women aren't qualified, not because they're not doing incredible things in the workforce, because they have the overburden, if you will, of the family caregiver. And so many times, even though they may be the breadwinner in a family, they're being the one, they are often the one who leaves the workforce to tend to their family caregiving. And it is incredibly frustrating for all involved, the families, the employers, and, and of course, society uh, in general. Yeah. Um, that actually makes my eyes tear up a little bit because we're not just talking about, uh, you know, a, a third of the workforce leaving to care for their loved ones. And of course, who, who doesn't want to care for the people they love? Um, but really what's, you know, the cumulative impact between what we've already seen in the last year with so many women being impacted with taking care of their children and schooling. And, you know, I'm sure you have heard so many stories as have, as have I, of, you know, women putting their kids to bed and then, you know, working from eight until midnight so that they can be up really early the next morning to do it all again and make sure they satisfy their employment requirements and also make sure that their kids are learning and, you know, experiencing some kind of a childhood during this. So it's, 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 it's a little challenging to wrap my mind around what that total impact really looks like for women. It's, it, it is, um, it is so disheartening, but it's, it, it actually, um, I don't want to be the bearer of such terrible news. Cause I do think that there's a good answer at the end of this, Yeah, but um, the other thing to note is that it hits black and brown communities even harder. You know, when we think of people in the workforce, what you just said about this idea of um, shifting your work, right? That's very true for many people. And as difficult as that is, the harder places is in shift work, right? For people who've got a requisite hour, they must be at work from here to here. And there isn't necessarily the opportunity for them um, we think about, as I referenced earlier, the industries that have been hardest hit also happen to have the greatest minority um, and underrepresented um, groups. So when we talk about the gains lost over this 30 years, it doesn't hit all races um, and all groups the same, which makes it even harder to overcome, right? And so when we talk to employers, what we really try and impress is there are some tactics, some strategies that we encourage employers to have. Um, some of them are way old school, things like job sharing, which really sort of fell out of favor as people started using work from home. Well, not everybody can work from home. 
Some, again, some of this shift work requires real creativity around how to solve it. And we encourage employers to really think through what they can do to help both their white collar and blue collar employees figure out how to stay in the workforce. The average caregiver spends over $10,000 a year out of their own pocket. So couple that with those leaving the workforce who aren't going to not spend that money. They just don't, they're going to have to figure out how to get it. And we uh, really are encouraging employers to be as proactively creative to, to try and flex as much as they can with employees to allow, you know, allow your shift workers to work split shifts, do job sharing, allow for work from home. But it's interesting we think of work from home for those that can is this great answer. I did a, uh, a study group uh, about a week. Uh, it was actually a few weeks ago at this point. And I got schooled by somebody who said to me, and it was great to hear their perspective. They can't wait to go back to the office. They need the structure to be able to get these projects quicker. They said when they work from home, even when they're doing it later, their spouse didn't necessarily because their spouse was home from work then and wanted some social time. And they said, I, I, it's not so easy for me. I need to be able to carve out time in the office when I can go in and get work done. So what we really encourage is employers to, to make as wide as the opportunity as they can allow. Right? And to Whether be it's, as personal yes, as they need to be, right? Um, 100% Danielle. Yeah. Because very much, you know, I guess as I share, you know, the the struggles that some of, you know, my colleagues and friends have gone through, you're right. They're not shift workers. I mean, as much as it's been really hard for them to make the change, but they've had the option of making those changes because they work with organizations that right away said, hey, you can go home and you can stay home as long as you need to and make it work. Um, but for those who you know, are working in grocery stores or medical care settings or manufacturing, obviously the list goes on. Uh, they don't, they don't have that same opportunity. So I acknowledge, I acknowledge that. And I, I will have to consider that much more often as I think. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it creates this fascinating um, opportunity and it is an opportunity for us to figure out. I don't want to, you know, wax poetic about this, but there's this great opportunity for us to reshape and redefine what workspace means, yeah. right? And some jobs, you're 100% right, um, are always going to need to be done at the location. My daughter is in, my oldest daughter is in med school. And as she will often remind me, um, she works in an ER and that's going to always be open. There's not an option for it not to be, but there are ways for us, even in those types of settings to get much more supportive, creative, and if nothing else, acknowledge that we have to solve work for everybody. And yeah. um, it, it is, it is encouraging to see employers asking the right questions, which is great. Yes, it is. So Larry, what is the solution that Genworth is proposing? Because we can't make this all, you know, we can't just bring in these challenging statistics and the bad news and not talk about what can we do? 
if only it were as easy as saying, hey, let's identify the problem and somebody else can figure out the solution. That would be fantastic. Yes. I would be excellent at that. Um, we, we did solve one aspect of this. And again, I want to take you all the way back to my personal story, which was the finance. There's two components to this caregiving crisis. One is the financing of it, right? The what to do when you get that fateful call. How do you pay for care? And there are plenty of ways for people to be able to afford through their benefit plans, whether employers do some sort of post or pre-tax savings plan and a little bit is better than none. And there are plenty of insurance ways which we could talk about it uh, perhaps another uh, time. But the second and larger question is how do you get caregiving advice when you get that call of which you're not expecting and you are not an expert but you want to provide your the, the best answers for your loved ones, what do you do? Um, Genworth uh, has brought to the, that problem what we think is a really good, strong care advocacy solution for employers. And so we work with employers to really be the phone a friend for all of their employees when they get that fateful call. And it isn't just in an emergency type situation. Maybe they're in the middle of going through Alzheimer's or dementia or a much longer um, cycle of care needs, and they just don't know what to do. What we provide is 100% customized care advocacy. So as an example, in my case, when my father needed to find a rehab facility, I would have, had we had the service, picked up a phone, dialed our 800 number, gotten immediately connected, not to some telephone sales rep, but immediately connected every call answered by a licensed clinician or social worker. So I would have immediately gotten to somebody who would have asked me what was going on. I would have described my situation and they would have gone to work for me, Danielle. They go and they listen, they diagnose just like they would if you were going to see your doctor, you explain what's going on and they solve it for you. They find a rehab facility that has the right bed in the right type of unit that works with your insurance. They present to you all of the choices, right? They say, Danielle, here are three facilities within 25 or 30 or 40 or 10 miles from your house. They would take your dad or my dad's insurance. Here's what they're rated by the state. Here's the important information. They package it up for you, the caregiver. And they present it in a way that a layman, that somebody who's not in the business would understand. And then they go one step further and say, if you're paying for this privately, we've already pre-negotiated what that pricing looks like. So you don't have to try and figure out how to have a conversation about price, right? We've been doing this for 20 years. The company we bought 10 years ago, the name of it is Care Scout. It's right outside of Boston. They started as a care advocacy company and Genworth bought them because of this ability. And about a year ago, we decided that it wasn't enough to provide this great service for Genworth's policyholders only. We recognized through this, um, through the series of studies, the cost of care and beyond dollars, that there was a incredible need this lack of understanding around how to provide caregiving advocacy work, that people were lost. Professionals who did this, like myself, were lost when they got that call. And we created the service. We sell it to employers 
So the employer pays for the fee. It's minimal. It's a couple of dollars a month for per employee. And there's no upsell to the employee themselves. So the employee doesn't pay anything. They get unlimited use. They can call 50 times if they want. They have, they're not shuffled from person to person. They make one call. They're assigned that case manager who picks up the phone and they stay with them throughout the whole episode of care that's required. Um, we are really excited to provide what we think is this sort of, as I've described it, is this phone a friend resource. Um, and we've gotten some great results and some great reviews from employers who've, who've brought it on just again in this post COVID world of trying to figure out how to be more supportive. Uh, we've had hundreds of calls from companies that are looking to add this or the other, but we're not the only company that does this quite candidly. There's a few other companies uh, and when we talk to them, they've also had this great influx of companies looking to add these types of benefits. I can imagine because one of the things that would really give you the greatest peace of mind if you were facing a caregiving challenge is talking to somebody who knows what you're talking about. And, you know, empathy is great, but people also need to be able to know what are the next couple of steps that I need to take um, to actually put together a solution. Um, I really appreciate you being on this episode today. Um, these things that you have mentioned, like the cost of care and beyond dollars and that sentiment study, I'm going to make those available in the show notes so that, you know, people can click through those, but then also come back to your Genworth website as well. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. Yes. And if there's anything else that, you know, that you'd like to make readily available, we can do that. I know you're on LinkedIn and do you welcome connections from HR leaders and others who are looking for solutions? I absolutely do. And um, I am a very active LinkedIn poster. I'm, I'm because I'm one of the few who get to match up their passion with what their day job is. I welcome all sorts of connections and questions, and please feel free to reach out to me through LinkedIn, um, or you can find me on Twitter at L. Nysenson, and I'm certainly happy to, to chat there. Uh, and thank you, Danielle, so much for the opportunity to speak to you and to your listeners. It was a great conversation, and um, uh, my last words, if I could, would be, if you are a caregiver, I know at times it feels um, as if you're on an island by yourself, just know that there is support out there, that your work is not only appreciated and, and, and vital and needed, but there are people who want to support you, starting with your employer. Uh, and don't be afraid to put your hand up and ask for the help that you need. And thank you again, Danielle. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you. I think that is a perfect conclusion for us on this episode. You know, I have said it before on the checkup and I will probably say it a lot. Everything around us has changed so much. It's going to continue to change. And if we can together work toward finding solutions and if we can come together and, and bring our smarts and our heart, then together we can find that new way forward. Thank you for joining us today. Take good care.